Well, I am so glad that not only did God give me a wonderful earthly father, but he is the great heavenly father. And we are in Genesis chapter 23 and 24, and uh, we saw the picture of Abraham as the father of Isaac last week and how he trusted his father so much to lay on the altar and let him prepare to be killed. Isaac did, but God intervened. And we're going to see a big shift now in Genesis. We're moving towards the end of Abraham into Isaac. Isaac's now, uh, he's in his 30s. And Abraham, Abraham is an old man. And he's going to say, I need to do one more thing for my son before I die, and that's get him a wife. And so we're going to see in chapter 23 and 24, we're going to see what happens here. But in 23, we have the event of Sarah dying. And 23 is really kind of a, there's a little short section on her death, and then there's this whole section on how he negotiated, how Abraham negotiated for a place to put Sarah. And this is important. I don't want us to lose what a step of faith this was for Abraham. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23. And we're going to read, we're going to start out with the first two verses. Now Sarah lived... 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kerith Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. The love of his life, Sarah, had died. 127 That was a long life together. Abraham's 137 years old. And uh, and as Sarah dies, it doesn't say, I mean, it doesn't say how she died. She just, she probably just died a peaceful sleep. Hopefully, right? And Abraham says, I need to bury Sarah. But where is he? He's in Canaan. He's in a, And for him, a foreign land. He's not in a place that he had any claim to. He was a sheep herder. He was a cattleman, and he drove his cattle wherever there was water and food. And so he really didn't have any place. Now, he could have said, we're going to take her back to Ur of the Chaldees, and we're going to bury her there. But what had God promised him? God said, in this land, the land where you're going to set your foot, I'm going to give that to you. And so Abraham believes in this covenant that he's had with God, and he proves his faith in that covenant. Abraham proves his faith in the covenant of God. Now, I want you to think back with me. The covenant was multifold, right? I'm going to give you many descendants. They're going to be like the sea of the 
the, the sand on the shore, or it's going to be like the stars in the sky. I'm going to give you all of these descendants, and I'm going to bless the families of the world with it. But in between there, there was another part of this covenant. And in Genesis 12, 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. You're going to go. This is the land I'm going to show you. And then in Genesis 15, 7, he says, And he brought, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to what? To possess it. And then in Genesis 17, 8, he says, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. All three of these are the covenant that he made with, God made with Abraham, and he said, you're going to have the land. But all the years that Abraham lived, 137 years, he didn't own a piece of land until Sarah died. And when Sarah died, he says, I'm not going to take her out of the land. I'm not going back where I used to be. I'm going to buy a place. And the rest of 23 is all about this, the way that the Arabs at that time would negotiate. And it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing to watch. I've actually watched it in person in, uh, when I was in Northern Africa when we would go to barter for things. There's a way that they do things. And the rest of chapter 23 is about this barter that goes on for the cave and the field in Machpelah, in Mamre. And so that's the rest of the chapter, and I'm not going to go into that. You can study it on your own. You can go home and you can read it, and it's this back and forth. But once again, just like David, remember when we talked about the altar David said, I will not sacrifice anything that does not cost me. Abraham said, you can't give this to me because I need to own it. This is my spot that I'm going to own. And when Abraham died, this is the only land that he owned in the land of promise that God had promised him. This one little plot of land. You can go there today. The Muslims have built a, uh, a mosque there. And you can go to this, the cave of Machpelah today. And there's a little hole dug in the ground. You can look down into the cave. But that's all that he owned. But he had faith in what was to come. He owned one little field in all of Canaan. And that was his faith. He said, I know more is to come. Now, chapter 24, if you'll remember last week, chapter 23, or chapter 22, was the foreshadowing of, of what event? Anybody remember? 
the crucifixion. It took, it took Abraham and Isaac, and it was a picture of the crucifixion. Well, we're going to continue to see the foreshadowing of the New Testament in chapter 24. So as we look at this foreshadowing, let's turn to chapter 24, and let's read the first nine verses. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Wouldn't that be a great end of life story? Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord blessed you in every way. That's the way I pray to go, right? And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he owned, and he said, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? And Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife from my son there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. As we look at what's going on here, remember Abraham's the father, right? Isaac is the son. And now we have the servant. Now some would say it's Eleazar. We don't know. He's not named. It just says the servant, his oldest servant. He says, I want you to seek a bride. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. What did Jesus do before he left? He said, I'm going to send who? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, you're going to hang out with the Holy, until the Holy Spirit comes. And then the Holy Spirit is going to start the church. And who is the church? Are we the church? And what are we called? We are the bride of Christ. You begin to see the imagery here? In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, Jesus said, uh, Gathering them together, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you may be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want you to wait. Don't go back. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. 
And in Acts 1.8 it says, But you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit who has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. He says, I'm going to start building the bride of Christ in the church. And what happened on that first day of Pentecost when, when the Holy Spirit came down on the, on the disciples and they went out and Peter preached and what happened? 3,000 people got saved. Was that the start of the church? Are we starting to form the bride? And the bride has been building and being formed all of these years as the word of God has been preached and as people come to know him as Savior. And it's going to culminate one day. And we see that in Revelation 19. And it says in verses 7 and 8, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And who's the Lamb? Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. And his bride, the church, has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. But we don't come dressed in fine linen, do we? Isaiah 1.8 says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. You see, the Holy Spirit brings us to Christ. He cleanses us. He changes us. He prepares us for the, for the one event that we should all be looking for, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride coming down the, the, to the altar is who? It's us. We're coming to the table as those who believe in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that in this, the, the servant is really not sure. He says, but what if she doesn't come? Do we often make that, make that kind of excuse? Well, I'm afraid to share the gospel because what if they don't believe? Well, if you don't share the gospel, they don't even have a chance to believe. And a lot of times we, we get fearful just like this, this servant did. Now, this is the earthly servant that is having the doubts. What if she won't come? What if she will not believe? What did Abraham say that God would do? God, verse 7, look at verse 7. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me saying to your descendants, I will give this land. What will he do? He will send his angel before you. And you will take a wife for my son from there. Did Abraham have any doubt that God would do that? Abraham had been to Mount Moriah with Isaac. He knew that God would provide. What's the word? What's the name of God that says I will provide? Jehovah Jireh. 
I will provide. Abraham knew that this was what God wanted him to do. And he says, if you go, God will send an angel ahead of you. You know, when we, when we share Jesus Christ with people, we need to understand that God is always preparing hearts ahead of us. If we are praying, he says, pray the Lord of the harvest, right? He says, pray, because it's what? It's white unto harvest. It's ready. God sends ahead of him the Holy Spirit. Sends ahead of them angels who are what? Messengers. Messengers that have prepared their heart. And he says, in this case, I will send an angel ahead of you. You don't have to worry. Well, he packs up all the camels, and he heads out. Let's look at Genesis 24, 10 to 14. And the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside of the city by the well of water at evening time, and the time when women can't go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you are showing loving kindness to my master. Wow, that's pretty specific, isn't it? He doesn't know who is related to Abraham. I mean, the city is named after Abraham's brother, but he doesn't know which relative it is that God has picked for Isaac. And he, he sits there and he prays specifically. I mean, some, how, a lot of times, we, how do we pray? Oh, God bless so-and-so. God, thank you for, for providing for me. Have you ever thought about, God, would you bless so-and-so? They, you know, I, I saw their car, or I heard their car rumbling in to the parking lot. Would you bless them with a new car? Matter of fact, would you bless them with a 2021 model, right? Have you ever thought about praying specifically about what God has for somebody else? We spend a lot of time praying for ourselves, but this is not a prayer for him. This is a prayer for Isaac. It's a prayer for the fulfillment of Abraham's dream. And he says, specifically, I want you to do this. And what did God do? He sent Rebecca. And Rebecca is an amazing lady. But I want you to know that God specifically answered the servant's specific prayer. If we don't ask specifically from God, 
He's going to kind of get us, give us that blanket answer, right? But when we ask specific, that's one of those things. When, when somebody says, is this an answer to prayer? And you pull out your prayer journal and you go, I specifically asked for a 2021, whatever it is, for this person because they were in need of a car. And God answered that specific prayer. You can go out and see it in the parking lot. You see, God answers specific prayer if we pray specifically. And God answers that. And we could go through this story, but it's going to repeat the same thing over and over again. Because what happens? Rebecca comes out, and she's related. She is the daughter, right, of of Bethuel. And she's, she's related to Abraham, and she comes out, and what happens? She looks, at, she looks at this servant, and she says, Hey, would you like some water? Oh, absolutely. And I'll water your ten camels. Now, we'll talk about that in just a second. But, but look at what the Bible has to say about Rebecca. Rebecca was an exceptional Woman, Look at verse 16. And the girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Here's a girl that was, was everything that Isaac needed. And not only that, she was a hard worker and she was gracious. And I don't want you to miss that, folks. Yes, she was beautiful. But she had a gracious heart. Now, I told you about the camels, right? How many camels were there? How many? Ten. Ten camels. Anybody anybody here a camelologist? How many gallons of water will a camel drink? Anybody know? 20 to 30 gallons in less than 15 minutes. What Rebecca offered was no, was no small matter. I want you to think about this. She's got, if you go, you can go today to the Arab countries where they carry, still carry water. And they'll, they'll have usually a three to five gallon bucket. And they carry it on their head. Okay, now anybody know how much water weighs? Eight pounds a gallon. Anybody doing the math? 40 40 pounds. Now she is going to deliver between 200 and 300 gallons of water for the camels to drink. Wow. Would you do that for a stranger? Rebecca had a gracious heart. She says, I'm a servant, and I'm here, and I will, I will feed your camels too. Uh, they can drink. And in verses 22 to 25, not only does she offer this drink, right? But watch what happens in 22 to 25. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for a wrist weighing ten shekels of gold, and says, whose daughter are you? He hasn't even revealed yet who he's looking for. 
Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge at your father's house? And she said, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the, the son of Melchah, whom he bore to Nahor. And again, she said to him, we have plenty of straw and feed and room to lodge in. Come on home to my house. We'll feed all your ten camels. You can, you, and, and obviously, do you think uh, the servant took all of those animals by himself? No, he had helpers with him. So I said, come on. We'll put another, as my mom would say, we'll put another tater in the pot. You know, if you were running, you know, there's always room at the table. And that was the graciousness of Rebecca. This woman that God had called specifically for Isaac. And, and as we look through, we, we see once again, we have the, the servant going, and, he, and he, we, we meet Laban for the first time. I'm not a particularly big fan of Laban. He is a schemer. He is somebody who's always trying to get the better hand of somebody else. He's there. He sees the gold, and he's like, oh, yeah, come on over to our house. And, and they have this negotiation that says, he tells this story once again. Abraham sent me, he made me promise this is what happened at the well. I prayed, God answered with Rebecca, and I want to take her back to be the wife. Now, I want you to look at verses 50 to 59. We're going to jump ahead a little bit. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The matter comes from the Lord. So we cannot speak to you, bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. That's quite a courtship, isn't it? Then the Abraham servant heard the words. He bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. Not before them, before the Lord. And the servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. And he also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. And when they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days, say ten, and afterwards she may go. And he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the girl and consult her wishes. And when they called Rebekah, they said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent her away, sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse with Abraham's servant and with his men. I want you to notice a couple things in here. First of all, that the matter has come from the Lord. The matter has come from the Lord. You know, a lot of times when people are seeking a bride, right, they're like, oh, well, I want her to be, I want her to be just like this. And I want her, you know, I want her to look like this, and I want her to like these kind of things, and, and I want her to, but, but do we ask God? 
and God had promised that he would send the right woman for, for Isaac. And here's this perfect woman that God made for her. It was a matter that came from the Lord. And I want you, want you to understand that God is preparing his bride. He's preparing us for him, for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he wants us to have all of these wonderful attributes that we see in Rebecca. He wants us to be gracious. He wants us to be hospitable. He wants us to be that person when somebody comes to the well and says, yeah, here's, here's a cup of water. And oh, by the way, I'll draw another 300 gallons for your camels. That's what God is looking for from us. God had prepared that. But I want you to also notice that Rebecca followed God immediately. Now, this is important for, for, for a couple reasons, but one of the things that happens is when people go to follow God, if they don't get uh, into a church, if they don't begin to be discipled quickly, they, they tend to drift away. And what did, what did uh, Laban say and, his mom, and her mom? Oh, let's hang out here a couple days. We'll have a big party. Let's say 10 days. We don't want her to go yet. Besides, you have a whole lot of stuff that we want to go through and see what all you have. Right? That was kind of Laban's idea, I think. But let's have a big party on your dime. And Rebecca said, no. I'll go with them today. When we look at the... Uh, the parable of the seeds being sown. In Matthew chapter 13, the last, the, the, the next to the last group said, and the one to whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is a man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. You see, if you hang out with the thorns, uh, eventually they're going to overcome you. Any, anybody been doing any weeding in their garden? Right? I have Canadian thistles. And I hate them. Because they will just grow, grow, and they will overtake everything. And that's what happens if we don't immediately respond like Rebecca did. Immediately respond to the word. Rebecca immediately responded. And so, so off we go. Rebecca, her nurse, maybe we don't know how many women went with her, but at least her nurse, that was not uncommon. That doesn't mean she was some little bitty kid, right? They often had a, a lady just like Rebecca, or just like Sarah had, had her lady-in-waiting, Hagar. Rebecca would have had uh, her maid that helped take care of her, and they all head off, and they're on, and it's a trip. I mean, they're going all the way up from here of the Ur of the Chaldees, multi-day trip. They're making their way down to Canaan, where they know Isaac is. Now, remember, they are what? They're itinerant sheep herders. They're cattlemen. They live out on the range. Out, you know, and they'll move around. 
And so the servant didn't necessarily know exactly where they were going to be, but he took them back in the area where they were, they were working their cattle before he left. And I want you to, to look at Genesis 24, 62 to 67. Now Isaac had come from going to Beer Lahoy Roy, for he was living in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards the evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, the camels were coming. So they were, it was far enough off that Isaac could make out the camels, and he's kind of like going, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's how many the servant left with. I think these are the guys coming back with my bride. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel, and she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. And then she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her to, into his mother's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. And thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now I want you to think about this. Isaac sees, his, sees these camels and he says, I think that's my bride. And he's coming out across the field. And here's Rebecca. That's the one that I've traveled all, I've left my family. And what does she do? She covers her face. Now Rebecca's a beautiful lady. She, she doesn't, she says, I don't want this guy, A, at number one, I'm a virgin, I'm pure. I've never been with a man. And I don't want him to judge me by my beauty. And he co- she covers her face. And folks, I want you to let you know something. God accepts us just the way we are. You see, she covered her face because of her beauty. But what do we, why do we cover our face quite often? Because we don't like the way we look. Or God's not going to accept me because of what I've done. God doesn't, won't accept me because I've done all of these bad things. But folks, I want you to know that just as Isaac accepted Rebekah without ever judging what she looked like. God accepts you exactly where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter your past. He loves you and he's going to accept you just the way that you are. What an amazing story of Isaac and Rebekah but it is a story of Jesus Christ and his church. We are the bride. And in Revelation chapter 22, 
verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. You see, Jesus says, come. The Holy Spirit says, come. He's asking us to to be part of the greatest event of, of history that will be eternal, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all we've got to do is answer the question, are you going to come? And he invites you this morning, come. Come as however you are. Come if you're thirsty and I will give you whatever you wish without cost. We're going to come to communion now. And it, it amazes me that, that in that verse in Revelation, it says, come and drink without cost. The water's free. The water of, of eternal life is free for you. But there was a cost, and that was through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when we come to communion, we remember, we remember the cost. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. This is my blood, which is poured out for you, for the remission of sin. And that's what we remember when we come to the communion. The communion is stacked in cups with the wafer below and the juice on top. It's here in the middle. It's in the back two corners and up front here. If you would be kind enough to reach into the pew in front of you and just use some hand sanitizer so we do this as safely as possible. And as we come to communion, I want you to to think forward in time. I want you to think about that time when Jesus is going to hold out his hand and he's going to say, Bride, it's time. You're going to be with me for eternity. And what a day that will be. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you this morning for all that you do for us, all that you have done for us. I thank you for your Son who has provided for us at no cost to us eternal life, but at the cost of his own life. And we thank you and praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.